hustlers, road players, tournament champions. Hear the stories, get their advice, learn about their lives. Our host, Joey Ryan, brings you an inside look at the professional pool player. You're listening to the Pool Player Podcast, brought to you by Pool Scene 365. Hey, welcome to the Pool Player Podcast brought to you by Pool Scene 365. I'm your host, Joey Ryan. And if you're enjoying this content, do me a favor and hit the subscribe button, uh, like it, share it. Also provide some comments on the videos. That way we can help make this thing better. In fact, some of the comments I received early on said, hey, let's get some industry folks on. And so I did that. And today we have with us a couple of great guests. Uh, they're the folks who invented Fargo Rate. And so today we have Mike Page and Steve Ernst with us. How are you doing, guys? Doing great, Joey. Yeah, just great. Awesome. Well, I don't know for sure, but I assume that you guys both play pool. Is that correct? You know, I used to play a little bit. It seems like it's been a while. Uh, yeah, same for me. Mike is uh, about twice as good as I am, as our Fargo ratings would indicate. But um, I am... When we talk about Fargo ratings, we talk about um, the distribution of ratings, right? So everybody remembers the bell curve from any stats class they have. I am the dead middle of that bell curve. I am the average player. Mike, Mike is better than that. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're kind of in the thick of things. We're in the, you know, I'm, I'm a little over 600. Uh, 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 Steve was 500-ish a couple of years ago, and now he's probably 530 or 540 or so. And Mm, and might be generous. He's got he's got a nice ramp up, and uh, uh, I'm uh, at best staying the same. That's awesome. So tell me, you guys must have a background in math and statistics. Like, which one of you is the mad scientist here, and which one is more of like the salesperson? Well, you know, you're going to be disappointed here that the that I don't think we have a, a good salesperson. <laughs> <laughs> two mad scientists. We have, we have two mad scientists, exactly. <laughs> well, actually, Mike, I, I've seen a lot of your posts online and you do a really good job. You know, really, uh, you know, you guys take some criticism from time to time from people who don't really understand it or maybe don't believe in it yet. And I think you, you do a great job of keeping a level head and just explaining what you guys are trying to do and you know how it's good for the game. So I want to dive into some of that. But before I do, can you take me back to the beginning? Like I have this image in my head that you guys were at a pool room somewhere and you were really frustrated with the rating system and you started scribbling on a napkin, carry the two, square root of this, boom, boom, you have Fargo rate. Is that any way how it happened? <laughs> Stretch that out over about a year and a half and <laughs> you're, you're closer. So, so I will... Uh, I will start with, with part of it is it did happen in a pool room, um, but only a portion of it. So Mike, um, he didn't really go into his background previously and I'll, I'll let him do that. Um, but Mike had devised this um, sort of approach to, uh, to calculating pool ratings on a, on a global scale years ago. He anticipated this, this coming years and years ago and had written a white paper on it. And I moved uh, to the, the Fargo area. Mike opened his pool hall. I, I got to know Mike and I came across his white paper and over a series of months, 
pestered him and pestered him. So my, my background is at, at the time I was a, a programmer for Microsoft and had, had been for years. And I'm trying to convince Mike that, that um, this is too valuable to not take, to not give to the pool community, right? To not, to not take it to a large scale. And it took a long time, um, but I convinced him, <laughs> I think. Um, so I'll let Mike talk about how the, the actual origins of the math came about. Uh, you know, and before I do that, I'll just point out that that Steve's not your average guy to have in the pool room. <laughs> so he he is a guy that 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 at the time had already uh, created an app where where you take a photograph of of a pool table. It it does uh, uh, you know recognition of the balls of their color and their positions and and uh, and figures out stuff about how to run the balls out and so forth. Um, he also right now, if he's in his basement and, and, uh, uh, and he, uh, he misses a shot, uh, he, he just like claps his hands and, uh, and then something above just like projects where the balls were <laughs> a few seconds ago. So he resets them up. I mean, you know, my, so. <laughs> yeah, my auto rewind. Projector. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, and uh, and he, he was also a, a, uh, a quite senior developer uh, for uh, Microsoft. Uh, one, of the, one of the guys that actually uh, worked on the Excel project. Uh, and so, uh, uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I worked on, on this rating stuff uh, quite a long time ago. And did some some analysis of some early pro stuff, and of course, getting data is such a big deal. And you know, once I had a pool room, you could sort of get a lot of data or our own data, and started collecting other other data. And uh, once Steve was excited to uh, to take this to the next level, it was just kind of really a no brainer. And uh, and it's been you know five years of 60 hours a week <laughs> and uh, and it's been a lot of fun. So what year did you guys start working on this? Actually uh, formed as a company in January of 2015. I don't remember how much we've been working before that. Yeah, I don't 12 to 18 months, something yeah. like that, I think. So without revealing your proprietary secret sauce, can you share in general terms how the system works? Sure. So there is the kind of the easy way to talk about it and the more complicated way to talk about it, which of course is the more accurate way. But the, the, the general principle comes from a, a system called the ELO system. And it was originally developed to rate chess players. And Mike often brings up the, the, the movie uh, Social Network where they actually write it on the dorm room window when they're doing their face mash, mash thing is there's, there's nothing tricky about ELO. You look at two people's ratings and a match is played and you, it, it tells you based on the outcome of that match, how much somebody moves up and how much the other person moves down. And that's it. And that's the way chess has done it for years. But there's a fundamental flaw in the way that chess does it, and they recognize it, 
but they're willing to live with it. And the fundamental flaw is um, if Mike and I were to play a match and Mike is rated 200 points higher than me. And um, if we were purely using ELO and I win, I have beat my expectation. I am not supposed to beat Mike. Um, occasionally I will, right? Occasionally I'm having a great day or Mike's having a bad day and I'll beat my expectation or maybe I've been getting better, whatever the case is. But if I win, if I've exceeded my expectation, my rating will go up a little bit and Mike's rating will go down a little bit. And that's the end of the game, right? In ELO. Well, the problem there is I may actually be like, have found a new speed, right? I am actually better. What we do is instead of it just affecting Mike's game and affecting my game is it affects everybody's game. Mm -hmm. So if you picture the Fargo rate system as a whole bunch of dots that are all players and a whole bunch of lines that connect those dots, those are all matches. And some of the lines are a little thicker and stronger. And some of them are not quite so thick and strong. And those, the thickness of those lines has to do with how robust are the two players involved? How many games do they have in the system? Things like that. And um, how many games have been played between these players? They form the connections between all these players. When a new match comes into Fargo rate and it's like a drop of water coming into the pool, it ripples across the entire, we call it the graph. That's the, the mathematical term for all these connections. It ripples across this entire graph. Every player's rating will move. It could be a millionth of a decimal point, but every additional piece of information, every new game that comes into Fargo rate gives us an opportunity to reevaluate everyone's Fargo rating. So the real secret sauce, if you will, is that. It's the process of reevaluating on a daily basis what is the optimal, the best rating that we can put on every single player in the system that makes all of those games that were played, they're real games of pool with real outcomes, make the most statistical sense. Mm. So if you picture this whole thing as a mountain, and we're climbing up this mountain. At the very top of this mountain is a number, a Fargo rating that we can put on every single person. We can then say, if these were the real Fargo ratings for these people, what are the odds that these matches were played would turn out the way that they did? And what we're trying to do is to get that number as high as possible to make the most statistical sense that this is right. We're trying to climb this mountain and get to the very top where there's no better rating that we can put on anybody given the information we have now. Mm. So that's, that's really the secret sauce is start with ELO as, as the basis and expand out to do the optimization for everybody every day. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. I love that. So I, I also love when people have a big vision. I used to work for this company. We were into the, you know, data analytics and law enforcement data sharing. And believe it or not, there's like 18,000 police departments and sheriff's office throughout the country and they don't share data. So if you get arrested, it goes in the FBI system. But if you don't get arrested, you could literally be a suspect for a robbery in 15 jurisdictions and they'll never know about it. Like each one will never know about the other agencies, you know, things. So the CEO of this company had this big vision. He says, I want a nationwide layer of crime from every agency. And there's with 18,000, you can imagine what a challenge that would be. 
but I loved it. It inspired me every day to kind of go for this and go after this. And so, you know, you guys have, I believe this vision to take this to, you know, all 50 States, maybe international, whatever it is. Um, you know, did you think when you started out that it would become this widely accepted in such a short period of time? It's really only been what, five years. Yep. Yep. Well, <clears throat> you know, I, I think we, we did. Um, and, um, we tend to think globally. <laughs> we, we, uh, we work with data a lot, and and we we think about big picture things, and and um, and while we recognize that most pool is played locally, we 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 see bigger connections uh, between uh, between what goes on in the pool room, pool world, and and uh, and we recognize that that it you know much like the law enforcement thing that you're you're talking about. Uh, the, the lack of the ability for for pool to to grow is about the way those uh, those those local areas don't connect properly with with one another, uh, and we see rating pool players as as being a big impediment to to growing pool and coordinating the pool world uh, throughout. Uh, the, the country in the United States, the continent, and, and the world. And, and, uh, and so we, we think that, that we can have a big impact there. Yeah. So I know you guys probably don't get any complaints at all about your systems, <laughs> but let's just say hypothetically you did. Uh, what would be the biggest complaint that you guys receive? So Mike may have a different answer, but the, the, the biggest one that I get all the time is, your system can't possibly be right because it doesn't have all of my gains, right? For example, you didn't take in this tournament, so it can't be accurate, or you didn't take in that tournament, so it can't be accurate. And it turns out that it can, and in some cases it can be more accurate um, based on if it, you had an anomalous performance somewhere and that was the one that happened to be excluded, but we won't talk about that. Um, you, as a, as a, and we won't drag this out to a long story, but you as a player and you being any player that's out there have a Fargo rating. And all that our math tries to do is to figure out what that Fargo rating is. And the more data that we have that comes in, the closer we can get to what that actual real Fargo rating is. But for every person, and everybody, every pool player knows this, they don't play the same from day to day. Some days you play really well, some days you are not playing that well. So your rating, although I said you have a rating, it's actually kind of a range, right? And think of like the bell curve, but a little bit smaller that you're on any given day, your Fargo rating, and I'm talking about the hypothetical internal one, right? Like your real life Fargo rating um, is somewhere in that range. So the more data we have, the better we can do at calculating that, but we certainly don't need all of it. Um, so we, we, we do get that one all the time. Like it has to be, you know, horse crap <laughs> because it's because you don't have all my data, but, but we, we, we do not, the more we have, the better we can do, but we certainly don't need it all. Mike, what about yeah. you? You have a, yeah, I, you know, I, there are so many, uh, uh, there's so many to choose from <laughs> it's, it, it, and and there are so many that we 
that that we just hear so frequently um, that um, when we go into a new area, it's like people are being introduced uh, once again, and it's like we hear the same things um, and uh, uh, try to explain them, and people eventually sort of, uh, you know, gain a little bit more understanding, and, and those same those questions start going away, and and, and so forth. And we move to a different place in that area. And, and this just happens over and over again. Uh, but it's super common to, to get this uh, complaint that um, my, so my rating shouldn't uh, go up unless, unless I beat better players. People think they should have to beat better players uh, for, their, uh, you know, for their rating to go up. Well, that's, that's not true. Uh, people think uh, that their rating is not going to be right um, if uh, if they only play in a weak league or a weak area or something like that. They, they think their rating is going to be, you know, messed up. It's not going to match, you know, what what they would see if they went to the big city. Um, uh, people think uh, uh, that ratings determined. Uh, uh, from league or small tournament or something is not going to, you know, be right compared to games that you get in a big tournament that matters more or for more money. Um, and that's just not true. And, uh, and even if, you know, even if people in uh, pool league or the small tournament, um, you know, drink more, socialize more, don't care as much, you know, all these kinds of things. Uh, these things don't make that much a difference. It's, it, it's like, uh, it's like if you take your, your car and go drive it through the muddy river, you've got a muddy car um, and uh, you can wash it, you can get it cleaner, uh, even if you're cleaning it with some slightly dirty water, you know, you, you can, right. and, and, uh, uh, and it's it's a lot that way with uh, you know with ratings and um, so you know we've kind of figured a lot of this stuff out and people when they get accustomed to the ratings they sort of start realizing these things uh, but when somebody sees what they think is an issue we're a little struck at at how strongly they they feel these objections and. Uh, uh, and uh, but we explain them and and uh, they they tend to go away. So. Yeah, thank you for that. It's it sounds like uh, listening to what you said early on, Mike, that there might be kind of an evolution of you know the complaints as Fargo rate gets accepted in an area, right? So initially there's you know a certain level of complaints, and then you kind of people are like, oh, okay, it's kind of you know, it's flushing out and things are working and then you maybe get a different level of complaints. Well, one complaint that I hear, you know, quite a bit, uh, usually right after the, the, you know, BCA tournament, you know, is, uh, and, and I just had Ozzy Reynolds on and we talked about, you know, the unestablished players and why unestablished players are allowed in his events. And he's like, well, look, you know, to get up to 200 games, you might play three whole sessions and not get up to 200 games playing in my league. And I can't tell you, you can't come play in our tournament now when you played in my league for three sessions. And it was a very good point. 
And so can you clear up like this whole unestablished, established, the magic 200 game mark and, and the starter ratings and, and what all that's about? Can you talk for a few minutes about that? Sure. So the, the whole established player thing and starter ratings and provisional things um, all stems from, from one certain desire, which I'll talk about in a second. But before we can talk about any of that, we have to talk about robustness and, and really what, what it means and why it's there. So robustness is just a word, word that we jumped on early on when we were doing this that really stands for just number of games, individual racks of pool that, that you have in our system. And what that does, it acts as a, it does a number of things, but the predominant thing it does is act as a shock absorber for your rating. So if you picture a car driving over a speed bump that has no shocks in it at all or very bad shocks, that thing bounces halfway down the street, right? If you have really good shocks, it damps out, dampens out that vibration and you get little movement. So robustness really acts like that for someone's rating early on. So when, and to some extent, starter ratings as well, which I'll talk about, but as someone gets more and more games in the system, say 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 games in the system, we start to become very comfortable in our rating on this player. We have a really, really, really good idea of how this player plays. We have a ton of information on, on that particular player. And consequently, that forms a belief that we have or our math has about how that player plays. And as new data comes in, the higher that robustness is, the more new data we need to change our minds, right? Because they, they have a very high robustness. If you go to the opposite end and you now have a player with no games or very few games, say five, 10 games, something like that, we do not have a strong opinion of how that player plays. So as more games comes in, their rating can fluctuate considerably. All of the car with really bad shocks, right? It's going to bounce around considerably. So that's where the starter rating concept comes in. The starter rating is a shock absorber, if you will, for that person's rating. It helps dampen down. It's when we have, or your league operator or tournament director has an idea of how this person plays, um, or it could be, you know, CSI can do it for their league members. Um, when, when we have an idea of how that person plays, it helps to dampen down those oscillations until they get to this magic number of 200, at which point we do not consider the starter rating at all anymore. It goes away. We, it's no longer used as part of the calculation. So the starter rating is there to dampen down the oscillations. So then the next question is, well, why 200? And as I had mentioned earlier, we talk about um, every person has a, like a, in their chest, a Fargo rating. This is how I play. This is the level I play at. And as we get more data, we can get a closer and closer approximation to what that real number is. Well, think of that as the bell curve again, right? And more data allows us to squish in that bell curve and get closer and closer and closer. Well, at 200 games, we can get that bell curve squished in pretty good to a point that we consider saying someone has a Fargo rating. You've gotten, we've gotten confident enough in the, the 
range of, of values that that bell curve says to say you have a Fargo rating. Prior to that, we don't even use the term that the person has a Fargo rating. They have a provisional rating or an estimate of a rating. I think Gulf uses provisional handicaps and such. Um, you have a provisional rating, but until you get to 200, you really don't have an official Fargo rating. So it all has to do with the confidence that we have in that rating. At 200, our confidence is high enough that we will issue a Fargo rating. As a follow-up to that question, uh, you know, I've seen some tournaments that have implemented their own number above 200, where they say, well, you know, if you're coming from out of state, you have to have 500 games in. Is that necessary? Well, it's, it's uh, as the number of games gets bigger, like Steve said, that the, the bell curve of how you're actually, how you actually play, you know, gets, gets, uh, gets narrower. We get more and more confident in, in how you play. Um, so, uh, so to some some extent, I you know I understand that kind of uh, that kind of thinking, um, but you know people should recognize that the the uh, the accuracy of the rating uh, gets better pretty slowly with the number of games. So when a person has two hundred games in the system, so we just just barely are willing to to say you're rated. Uh, when they have 200 games in the system, what we can do is look at a, a whole bunch of people and we can say, um, there's a two thirds chance that rating is right within about 20 points. Okay, we, we, can, we can look at that. And so if we took um, 200 of Joey Ryan's games, just, just snapped 200 out of the middle of, or took every second match of your last bunch of tournaments, 200 games, and, uh, and did a rating just based upon those, there's about a two-thirds chance that the rating that came from those would be within 20 points of what your actual rating is. Um, so that's about how good the 200-game rating is. To get that, that uh, down to within 10 points, you'd have to go to 800 games. Mm. So from 200 to, to 800, you have to go four times as many games. Uh, so it's pretty slow. And then to get it to five points, you'd have to go to 3,200 games, mm. factor of four um, again. Um, so it doesn't narrow that, that quickly. And, uh, and uh, I don't know, um, you know, some of these, some of the reasons that people are, are looking for 500 games for out-of-town players and things like that, are when people are doing these uh, high entry uh, X and under tournaments. Like here's a 550 and under thousand dollar entry tournament. Uh, and we're actually not a fan of those tournaments. Um, and you know, the reason we're not a fan of those tournaments uh, is they're like, there's a ridiculous amount of money in them. And if you announce that six months from now, there's going to be a 550 and under tournament that's going to have a, you know, a huge prize, you've suddenly put the uh, uh, incentives on their head, uh, you know, for you've suddenly made 545 a fundamentally different rating than 555 uh, in a way that it isn't normally. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, and we don't think that's a good thing. Um, so what we think is, is best practice is to not do these super high entry, uh, you know, X and under tournaments. A little bit higher entry is fine, but to, uh, to just say when somebody has 200 games, if they have an established rating, let them play by the established rating, let them play um, and, uh, and not do the 500 game business. Yeah. So I've recently commentated a match at Griff's for the thousand dollar entry where the winner got over $20,000. <laughs> and I, you know, I thought back and I've had some pretty good success in my pool career, if you call it that. And, uh, you know, never seen that kind of money come my way. And I'm like, doggone it. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. five, <laughs> five eighty and under and, you know, walking out with $20,000. Um, but it was a great event, but I, I could see your point having that such high entry fee and such high payouts provides that incentive where somebody could say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to dog it for six months or eight months and try to sneak in at one of these tournaments. Whereas, you know, the thing I love about what you guys are doing with, with Fargo rate is if you are going to sandbag, you're going to lose a lot. You know, you're, you're going to have to just lose and lose and lose and lose. And then you're going to make a big score and then you're going to go up and then you're not going to, not going to be able to do that again. You know? So I, I yeah, it's kind of every, yeah, every, every game makes the shock absorber stronger in your car. Right. So every game, if, if you were, you know, following your, your, your analogy or your story there, every game that you dogged is making your shock absorber stronger. So when you do go out and snap off that big win, greatly exceed your expectation, you are in a worse off position than you were when you started. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. so I live here in Arizona and, you know, I joke around sometimes and I say in Arizona, in Fargo, we trust, you know? So if anybody comes to town, you know, and they have an established Fargo rating, they get played. Like somebody's going to, oh, you're a 575. Great. Let me call around. And we got 10, 565s to 585s that are ready to go, you know, and that's kind of cool. Uh, what other states have implemented Fargo kind of like Arizona, where it's like a really big thing? So I'm going to, I know Mike has the answer to this, but I'm going to uh, just expound for a second on something that you had mentioned earlier. And you, you had said, it's almost like there's this set of, of steps that different geographical areas go through as they're taking up Fargo ratings. And you, you couldn't be more right. And Mike and I talk about this all the time is, is these phases that, that these different areas go through. And so the, the list that Mike is, is about to say are going to be the areas that have went through those phases and they're at the, the area that Arizona is. And it's not only acceptance, but one of embracing and, and you know truly realizing um, it's power for the situations, like you had just said, for matching up with, with completely unknown individuals. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and I, and I'm just trying to think of what are, you know, what are some of the States that are kind of in that place that, that Arizona is, you know, Oklahoma for sure, Wisconsin for sure, North Dakota. Um, you know, I think, um, in the Pacific Northwest, Washington and Oregon. Um, and then, you know, I, a bunch of other states to a lesser extent or certain parts of the state, uh, certain, certain parts of, of, uh, of New England, um, uh, certain parts of Florida, certain, certain parts of Texas. Um, 
uh, in Canada, in the uh, uh, Atlantic provinces. Uh, I, I'd say that's true um, in uh, actually, you know, a bunch of Canada in, in uh, Alberta, uh, you know, some in British Columbia. Um, um, internationally, I mean, ratings are pretty darn strong in Sweden. Um, there's a lot of information in, uh, in Norway, Netherlands, um, a lot in Australia, or, you know, or quite a bit in Australia, New Zealand. Um, but, you know, I, th I think these places that, that, like you said, like in Arizona, I think what a lot of people are surprised by uh, is how much more action there is when burger ratings are uh, are fully like accepted, um, and the because people's gut reaction is, oh my god, you're going to kill action, you know, and uh, and they think, well, you know, because they think action depends upon everybody just sort of being having this fantasy that they can beat the other people, and that's why they play, right? And uh, and the reality is people having no knowledge is why they don't play. So like, so if you're, if you're a, if you're a 600 level player uh, and you know, let's say you're a 600 level player and you live in Arizona, um, you play your local tournament. So let's say you're, you, you know, in the old days you were in Arizona, you know, eight, maybe you're going to move to a nine, you know, whatever. Um, and uh, uh, you're a pretty serious player. I mean, pool's a big part of your life. Um, if you, if you went to, um, Mississippi or Tennessee for work, um, you would want to gamble. I mean, you'd want to match up. You'd want to play somebody. But if you go into a pool room and say, I want to gamble, um, you're, you know, you're not going to do very well. You know, I mean, you're, uh, and, and uh, with Fargo ratings, that person is going to go to Tennessee or they're going to go to Mississippi and they're, and, and they're going to match up. They're going to meet people. They're going to have a good time. They're going to, they're going to interact. They're going to maybe win and maybe lose, but they can, they can play a whole bunch. They can, you know, play a bunch of people. And, uh, and it's a, it's a different kind of world like that. So all kinds of people that, that were not matching up before were being very careful that, you know, uh, are actually matching up now, you know, and we see it people coming through our area, uh, you know, people come through and they have a rating and, and, and they get played and, and they get played, our locals, so if someone who's a 650 comes through town, the local 620s are all over them. I mean, they, they, they want to play. They, people don't mind, you know, not having the advantage in a match. They don't mind, you know, uh, stepping up. Uh, they just don't want to be stupid about it. You know, they don't want to, you know, get in a match that they just have no business playing. Yeah, they don't want to play a 750. <laughs> yeah, play exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, so, uh yeah. So, you know, what I kind of gather from what you said, Mike, is that uh, the action uh, can actually increase and the fair gambling can increase, but what's going to decrease is the hustling, right? Is the, you know, the sneak in, 
dress in a carpenter's outfit, you know, can't play pool a lick. And then somebody wants to play for a hundred a game and they just drill you, you know? And so that resonates with me because, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty decent player and I travel for work to 13 States for my day job. And I'll pop into a pool room. And it's like you said, before Fargo raid, it's like, let me make a phone call. If somebody makes a phone call and it takes the person about an hour and a half, two hours to get there, I know I'm in trouble. You know, I could probably beat most people that are there at the time, usually. Uh, But when they make that phone call, it's like, uh, you know, but now, you know, with Fargo raid, it's, it's uh, a little bit easier to find a match that's fair. And I think that's what a lot of people want. So what states do you need more representation? And, you know, if they're listening, because I, you know, so far, this has been pretty successful. I got a lot of people listening. Um, Go ahead and give them your elevator pitch for why they should encourage their tournament directors and their league operators to participate. Well, so, so there's certain states that are kind of particularly frustrating to me. Um, I'll take Ohio as an example. Um, when I used to travel around, I remember, you know, I, I, I went to Dayton, Ohio um, 25 years ago. I went to, you know, Airway Billiards, Dayton. Um, great place. They had, a, they had a Monday night tournament, probably had 30 or 40 people in it. It was like a race to three, no handicaps. People would drive up from Cincinnati. Um, and and it was just a, a nine ball tournament. Had, it was like $6 to get in. Um, I played, I mean, there was people like uh, Jason Miller, Gary Spath was still alive. Um, and uh, and it, was a, it was a great tournament and it had, had weak players, middle of the road players, world-class players. And it, and it was fantastic. And I remember I just loved playing in that tournament. And then afterwards I, I had, I didn't really play one pocket at the time. So I was playing one pocket for a couple of dollars a game and somebody was teaching me. And then I went to the bar and, and I was watching uh, uh, one pocket on the, the screen and, and uh, was talking about the, the player on the, uh, it was uh, Steve Cook was playing on the, on the Accustat tape. And the guy next to sitting next to me at the bar was uh, talking about the match with me. And, and then he said, and he said, uh, well, I played it like this. And, and then I realized that it was the cookie monster, you know, Steve cook himself <laughs> talking to me. And, you know, so it, it, it was a really cool place. And so I, so I had these really good feelings about pool in Ohio. I mean, it seemed great. Um, and then, but now it's like they just don't want to embrace, uh, you know, moving pool forward, <laughs> and and they want they want to kind of keep things secret and not do things publicly, and and uh, and I I just don't get it, and I and I don't understand, and and uh, and the so what I would like to to say is look at. Oklahoma, look at Arizona and look at how many tournaments they are running each week right now uh, with, with Fargo ratings going in full force. You know, look at Oklahoma City. I mean, you know, Oklahoma City, I don't know if it has a million people or something. Um, Oklahoma has four or five million people. I mean, we take 40 tournaments a week in from Oklahoma. Uh, 40 plus. So, yeah. Um, And, you know, the number of tournaments available is, is just crazy. The number of people playing in pool tournaments, 
joining leagues, playing is just higher now than it's ever than than it's ever been. Arizona. I mean, Scott Frost made that that comment that uh, that he was kind of skeptical about uh, about Fargo rate when uh, when it first came out, but but he said you know that he's just completely uh, turned and it said it's just really bringing players out. And when it comes down to it, getting more players out and playing is the key to to everything that we want to do. We in the pool community. Yeah. Um, and I think that people in states like Ohio should just look at that, you know, in, instead of instead of trying to specifically understand what it is or what it is, they should just look at that and say there must be something there must be something there. There must be a reason that that works. Yeah, I can tell you that there's like pre COVID there were, you know, I don't know, 20. 30 tournaments a week, really, it seemed like in Arizona at a number of different places and a number of different options for people. But that goes to one of the questions that I had for you guys, um, because I fall into, did you guys check my Fargo? I'm just curious. Do you guys like identify people as Fargo's? (laughs) Hey, we're talking to Joey today. What's his Fargo? Did you do that? Yes. You did? I knew it. I knew it. I knew you guys did that. So, uh, so I just have... I just have everybody's Fargo memorized. <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine, um, you know, with where my Fargo is, sometimes I have a hard time finding an event to play in. And that's been one of my criticisms is not the Fargo system, but how tournament directors will use that to set up their tournaments. And my argument has always been, look, I don't mind playing in a handicap tournament. And for me, I would like to, I, I don't play that often, but I've managed to be able to maintain a pretty high level of play by playing in maybe one to two, one and a half tournaments a week, right? Over the last 10 years of my life. But now if there's no tournaments for me to play in, it's hard for me to do that, you know? And so what I've said is I'm okay with handicapped. I'm okay with capped. I'm not okay with handicapped and capped. And I realize that there's some, when you have extremes involved, right? I can't go to 20 where somebody else goes to five. I get that, you know, but um, what do you guys feel about that? Because I think there's a lot of players that are right where I am, where, Mm -hmm. you know, there's 690 and unders and 680s and unders. And we're like, daggone it. How about, why not, why not a 702 and under, (laughs) you know? You had asked the question earlier about who was the mad scientist and who was the salesman. I'll put the salesman hat on is, do I have an answer for you? (laughs) (laughs) So the, uh, you know, as, as Mike just said, increasing pool and just getting people out there and enjoying the sport that we all love is great. But when, when we hear comments like that, it makes us sound like increasing pool for who, right? Just the, like the, the lower level players that are just starting. We want, we want increased pool for everybody, including the elite players. So uh, we spent a bunch of time thinking about this. You know, we, we had envisioned that there would be um, uh, a bunch of like higher caliber tournaments that are out there and everything's weird in, in COVID time right now. So it's difficult to even like, think about these sorts of things. But we had envisioned there are all of these, these high level tournaments out there for players like yourself. Um, and then some handicapped ones sprinkled in there. Um, but the real cool thing is 
if you're a tournament director, you're often left with this choice of, do I do an open tournament um, that can have the higher level players in there that, that want to play it um, and forgo the lower level players, knowing that they're just gonna feel like they're donating and don't wanna participate? Or do I do the handicap tournament, knowing that I'm forgoing the better players um, that don't want to give up a whole bunch of weight to lower end players, some, something like that. As a tournament director, you often find yourself in this choice between those two things. So we spent a significant amount of time, and mainly Mike has spent spent a significant amount of time thinking about that exact problem. And we have come up with a tournament format that we call Tortola that solves that, that we think it does. And I'll let Mike talk about that just a little bit, um, or not let him talk about it just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I, I think that, that you've come up with a, uh, you know, actually a, a big problem. And, and I think, um, you know, you are kind of a victim of it in, in Arizona there. Um, but it's a, it's, it's kind of a big problem. And I, I think the first thing to note is that here we have developed Fargo rate um, we've been taking data in first around our area, Fargo, North Dakota is like 200,000 metro area for, you know, more than a decade here. And I have a pool room here and I've been, and I've run over a thousand tournaments in the last 11 years here. Um, there's about maybe five out of that thousand tournaments that you would not have been able to play in. Um, out of that thousand tournaments, there's about five that Shane Van Boning or Filler would not have been able to play in. I just don't exclude people from tournaments. Um, and I don't like, so I don't run these, you know, 650 and under tournaments. I mean, I, I, I just don't do that. Um, and so, um, so I'm not an advocate of it, and, and it's a problem that uh, that we've been meaning to address and kind of give people some options and suggest some options. We think it's in incumbent upon pool room owners and people in the industry to make sure that there are good opportunities for high-level players, to just make sure of that. That's so important, uh, and I would never consider not doing that. That doesn't mean that high-level players have to, uh, you know, make all the money or you know, or something like that. I mean, it's, uh, have a little advantage. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, you, you know, but uh, but there has to be opportunities uh, for high-level players, and we have to recognize that there's a, that there's a little bit of a social contract involved. Like you're, you're a really good player. If you go and play in a, in a tournament, a handicap tournament or something like that, uh, the, the average players, it's, it's cool for them to be able to play you in a handicap tournament. It's cool for them to be able to learn from you, maybe get a tip, you know, and, and you know, have the opportunity. Maybe they beat you a game and they're, you know, and, and, that's, and that's pretty good. Um, and you get probably an advantage, probably a, a financial advantage. You're probably more likely to win in whatever format it is. But part of that social contract is 
that you're there and helping them out. That you're there and paying attention to their game and maybe giving them a tip now and again. Um, but, and that's what we want. You know, that's the way we want things. But so we want formats that, that work. And, and there's, a, there's a couple of those. So uh, Tortola is the one that, uh, uh, that Steve just mentioned. Uh, and that's a format uh, that we've uh, that that really kind of requires some uh, uh, some software that's you know close to being available but not quite available to to do it right. But that's a format where everybody enters a super wide range of ratings, um, and everybody starts out no handicaps. It's kind of like so it's got an A side and a B side, um, and. Uh, and as long as you stay on the A side, uh, no handicaps, and and you play down, and until you get to a certain point when there's only a, a small fraction of people left, that changes into a double elimination. But if you go from if you lose in the A side, you're kind of into the you're into the B side, and the B side is like a separate tournament, and the B side is fully hot handicap. But the key is that whole B side has almost half the money in it. Mm. So everybody starts together um, and, and uh, you know, so everybody has the possibility of going through on the top, but half of the people, you know, you know most of the people end up on the bottom and, uh, and, and get through on the, on the bottom. And it's kind of a cool format that, that everybody's gonna have a chance uh, and we think it'll be a good way to good way to do bigger tournaments uh, that you know when you look at events like let's say a super billiards expo where where there's the amateur nine ball event that you know has everybody from people rated you know you know 450 up to you know around 700 it's an amateur event um, but everybody jumps into that and single elimination and, you know, maybe you make it a few rounds uh, and it's kind of an exciting thing. Everybody jumps in. Uh, if something like that was Tortola, we think it would just be a lot more fun and it could even be twice as big. Um, so, you know, we think that's a, a great format for bigger events. Uh, another thing that, that we have been doing around here in Fargo for bigger events is something that we call quadrangle. So imagine you're in Arizona, imagine you're at one of the big pool rooms and everybody shows up. Imagine you can have a tournament uh, that say $50 entry, have everybody show up, 120 players uh, some weekend. Um, and let's say you've got um, 1,200 at it. Um, well, everybody shows up, they sign up, there's going to be no handicaps, but what you're going to do is divide it into four equal tournaments by rating and nobody's going to know what division they're in until everybody is signed up. And then you're just going to list people by rating. And there's four divisions, platinum, gold, silver, silver, and bronze by rating. So we call that a quadrangle tournament. And for weekly tournaments, you can do something like that where you just break it into two. And, and instead of, so let's say you have 32 people show up, Instead of just breaking it dead in half, uh, you don't want to do that because you're going to kind of have the same people in the same region, you know, every week. Uh, you might want to have the cutoff point 
be some random place between bottom 25% and top 25% and just kind of, you know, do a little bit, you know, a, a random draw to see where that cutoff is and then have the bottom person in the top grouping, you know, have free entry or something like that. Um, that'd be a fun thing to do every week. But other than that, there's no handicaps. Um, you know, so there's there's a lot of things that, that can be done and we're kind of, you know, working on thinking about, uh, you know, maybe putting some of these uh, down on paper where, where people yeah. can. Yeah, the, the big takeaway is, you know, as I mentioned, tournament directors often think it's this hard choice between handicapped or open and it you don't have to make that decision often, right? You can combine the two and try and get the best of both worlds where you get huge fields um, for the tournament, but still um, make it worthwhile for the lower level players. Yeah, I really like some of those ideas. And I, I, I guess I'll make a deal with you guys that, uh, you know, maybe in another month or two, hopefully if the con- country opens back up, that uh, I'd like to try to put on one of those tournaments down here in Arizona. And, you know, we'll kind of test it out and see how it goes. I mean, I know you're working on software for the, is it Tortola? Tortola, yeah. I have a hard time with that word. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But but, uh, I'd I'd like to try to put one of those on down here. I might have to do a little more manual, but it sounds interesting. And if it's, you know, something that I whine about all the time, which I do, you know, and, and this might be a response to that that can fix that that uh why not just grab the bull by the horns and set one up down here and see how it goes and then report back to you guys and let you know and we'll kind of take it from there yeah yeah and you don't it doesn't actually require um new software but to to it's it's kind of like three tournaments in one sort of thing right so you, you wouldn't have just a standard bracket that you could have laying on the table that would do it but you could easily run it without software got it yeah. So for existing tournament directors, maybe that are out there and they're in a state, uh, maybe where Fargo is just starting to get going, or maybe even it's, it's going, but they don't contribute to Fargo. Um, how do they go about doing that? Uh, take us through that. Well, um, an important thing is to get league play, uh, uh, getting games into Fargo rate. Uh, that's that's kind of a uh, that's kind of a big basic glue, and people think, well, a lot of those league players maybe don't play tournaments and things like that, but they ultimately are people that connect all of us. Uh, they're they're kind of a yeah they're they're kind of a, a, a something that connects a lot of the players uh, in an area. So we have league software called called LMS, Fargo Rate LMS, uh, that, that gets everybody connected. So get the leagues using Fargo Rate LMS. It's directly connected to the Fargo Rate database and, and, and get people uh, connected. Everybody will get rated, get, get solid ratings faster that way, even, even if you're mainly interested in tournaments. Um, and then doing tournaments, we spend a fair amount. We don't have tournament software uh, that's connected to our database. Um, but what we do is uh, we work uh, with, with people to gather tournament data uh, that is shared publicly with, with the world. So 
what people need at pool rooms need to do is run tournaments and share that data publicly with the world and communicate with us and, and uh, so in such a way that we can, we can get that data. And there's a few different software packages, some of them free, some of them not free, but they're not very much uh, that uh, uh, through which we can do that. And, and we, uh, we foot all of the cost for that, uh, that process, that data collection and, uh, and whatnot. And when you say, um, you know, publicly available out for the world, that's likely a safeguard to ensure that the data going in is accurate. Is that correct? That, that is correct. Yeah. Peer review is kind of forms one of the tenets of what we do. And that, that means, so league data is inherently peer reviewable, right? You see the stats up there on, hanging on the board, the pool room or on the LMS page or wherever you're at. There, there's an inherent kind of peer review system that goes on there and no team is going to let some other team get away with something, right? It's kind of built in. But tournament data, you can imagine a nefarious tournament director somewhere that has created some artificial tournament and is trying to submit it to us, but it's not, it's, it's not publicly viewable somewhere, right? So there's no peer review process that data would somehow kind of covertly come in. So one of our tenement, tenements, one of our tenants is that it has to be publicly viewable. It has to be a bracket that's viewable somewhere, um, something like that, so that it's looked at by, by the players that participated and other players to, to, to put it succinctly. Yeah. So you guys recently came out with a new app. I love it, by the way. It's super cool. Oh, thank you. And uh, also there's a new partnership with Solato and I don't know much about them. So maybe there's other people out there like me. Can you explain to the viewers what the app does, how it integrates with Fargo and how folks can go about getting started with it? Sure. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So uh, Solato is uh, run by two gentlemen out of Wyoming, Reed and Colby, um, two great guys. And their interest is, this, it aligns perfectly with, with um, Fargo Raid's interest. And that's just get people playing more pool, right? Every, just, just get out and play. And uh, oftentimes, so several times during, during this call here, we've talked about um, going to a new location and trying to find a match. And you mentioned when they make the phone call, I know I'm in trouble. Um, sort of situation. And Solato is there to kind of try and um, ease that process a little bit. When you go to a new place and you want to play a game, you can use their application to, to match up with somebody, to find that game. If I go to Griff's um, in, in Las Vegas there and I want to play a game, I can go and say, I'm at Griff's, I'm on table six. Um, and you know I want to play a game of nine ball. It knows my Fargo rating and people that are around me can say, yeah, I'll go play that. Awesome. And up to a few months ago, that is, or a month ago, I guess, that is um, what, what Solato has done. Well, one of the, the critiques that we get, or it's not a critique, it's more of just a question, is I live in X state and there aren't any leagues around here that are using Fargo ratings. There's no tournaments. I've got to drive three hours to go play in a tournament. Um, is there any way for me to get data into, into Fargo rate out, you know, without having to drive the three hours to play? Or maybe it's, you know, I'm playing the stream match this weekend, you know, there's some 
it's a big marquee match, something like that. Can we put it into Fargo Ray? And, you know, I mentioned that peer review was one of our tenants. We have some other tenants as well. But, you know, the big ones are that, that as long as the light is shining on all the matches, nothing can hide anywhere, right? So, so when we talk about um, ne'er-do-wells and things, trying to maybe sandbag their rating or subvert the system somehow, as long as we're making sure that we're properly shining the light everywhere, helps to minimize some of that. So with that possibility being out there, we have always just said, we're not going to do it. We're not going to take those matches in. They are not peer-reviewable. Peer there is a possibility for bias to enter the system if the matches are sometimes entered and sometimes not entered. Um, like strange things can happen that we just did not want to have happen. So we thought long and hard about that and looked at what sort of safeguards that we can put into place to make sure that doesn't happen. And then, um, which, which we'll talk about in, in a second, and then looked at what, like who in the pool community aligns with what we're doing and um, can we, we can trust to kind of be that front end with the players and Salado kind of jumps out as, as the, that group of individuals that, that has the player's best interests at heart along with us. So working in conjunction with them, we tried to figure out how we can address this, this problem where you live in an area um, you don't necessarily have to live in an area without, without Fargo rate matches, but, but a lot of people do and how they can get their matches into the system and how we can do it in a, in a reliable, um, trustworthy way. We'll put it that way, that we can trust this data coming in. So we have um, created a number of safeguards and Mike actually has a video coming out shortly in the Mike page Fargo rate video series <laughs> that he does that talks about this in a little bit more detail. On, on how we can do this. Um, but the, the big thing is you have to make sure that players' incentives are in the right way or in the right, the right place, that they're incentivized to do the right thing and not the wrong thing. And then you have to put the carrots and sticks in the right places, right, is, is part of it. And um, then you also have to make sure that it, the data that comes in continues to meet the requirements that we have for data. So some of those requirements are the data must go in, and by data, I'm talking about a given match played in Salado, for example. The data must go in regardless of the outcome. So when Mike and I play a match and I end up winning, I'm not supposed to win, but I do, and I know my Fargo rating is going to go up, and I decide I don't want that to go in, right? I Don't, don't put that in. Well, that's, that's selection bias. We do not want that to happen. So we have to agree at the beginning of our match that the data is going in regardless of outcome. Tenant one, tenant two must be publicly visible, right? It cannot hide under the covers. It has to be peer reviewable. Well, how does that happen if it's played on Salado and submitted like that? Well, there is a feature in the new version of the app that you can look at any players in the system's public matches, matches that came in via Salado, anybody could be Shane Van Boning, it could be Mike, it could be me, it could be anybody. By searching for their name, tapping the view public matches, you can see all of those matches. So there's like built-in peer review. Also within the Salado app, you can see that information as well. So um, 
So that tenant's there. Uh, let's see, peer reviewable, that, um, why am I blanking on the third one? <laughs> I talk about it all the time and it, it's completely escaped my well, mind. They're paying something. Well, well and that, so that's the other thing is that there has to be, there has, like I talked about the carrots and the sticks and a, a big one is you have to have like something on the line for it. So there, so there's a nominal cost at the beginning. It's not a huge cost, but it's not nothing either um, that must be paid in order for those matches to come in. Uh, we also require a certain robustness. You, you have to have played enough games for us to even take the data. We, we have to have a pretty good idea of where you're at. And, and part of that is you can't just like lie and say you're some other person and start over with a zero robustness, right? To try and circumvent everything is you, you have to be um, in games and Solato, both players sorts of things and, and things like that. There's a, there's another, there's another point and I can't remember what it is. It completely left my brain. That's okay. I, I do that stuff it. all the time, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We, maybe we're the same age. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> announced. Uh, okay. And, and, and typically we require matches to be just not spur of the moment impromptu matches, but to be like publicly announced ahead of time. Ah, got so it. through Solato, you can see all the matches that are going on. And th that that's really a big one is, is how do you even know that this is happening? Yeah. I, I like that one because, you know, you see a match pop up and you know that that person might be susceptible to, let's say, cheating. <laughs> and so you're like, oh, well, I'm going to go down to Main Street Billiards and see if they're actually playing this match. You know, that's there good. you go. Yep. Yeah, I like that. So guys, you've spent a lot of time with me. I really appreciate it. So I'm just going to ask a couple questions and maybe we can kind of hit them quick. And I'm totally open to doing this again one day, you know, as you guys continue to innovate and develop, you know, and I appreciate you being on. I'd love to maybe do this, I don't know, six months, 12 months later, because it seems like you guys are doing a lot of cool, cool things, a lot of innovation. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you guys have the partnership with CSI and, you know, along with that BCAPL, um, but is there anything that would keep the other leagues out there from being... Uh, being able to utilize Fargo rate, like APA, VNEA, TAP. I mean, obviously they have their own systems and, and I assume that's a pretty tough nut to crack, but let's say in a perfect world, you know, could they adopt your system? So CSI has been, you know, when we were, when we were first starting up, we were, we were looking for a, a company that, you know, we're, we're all about, as I've said numerous times, we're all about just making life better for pool players. And if we could just give away Fargo ratings for free and like somehow do that, we would love to do it. Um, but the truth is, you know, we've got a cloud full of servers that, you know, you have to pay for and apps to write and, and things like that. So, um, so we, we can't give it away for free, obviously. Um, and we also require lots of data. So we like to find you know, we're, Mike will attest, we're not into this, this Fargo rate business to make a lot of money. So we tend to try and partner with companies that have the same sort of passion for the players that we have. And very early on, we realized that CSI is that company, right? They're, they're behind a lot of good things that are happening, happening for pool them and, and Predator and, and a number of other companies as well that are, that 
we really believe are, are pushing things in the right direction. So, um, you know, kind of early on, we had approached them and they were completely behind Fargo ratings. They, they understood what them, Ozzie Reynolds and, and Mark Griffin at the time, completely understood what we were trying to do, bought into that vision and came on 100%. And we, we, we love it. So we have, they have a, a, a unique um, agreement with us that allows them to use Fargo ratings within their league structures in, in kind of a unique way. We'll put it that way. Um, other leagues, um, say it's VNEA or APA, something like that, is able to use our, our league um, or our Fargo ratings within their leagues, but they must use LMS. Like it, and it's not just because they're APA or their VNEA is that's how we get league data into our system. Um, so there's nothing um, that, you know, would exclude them from doing it, but they, they must use LMS um, for, for that data. Yeah, and, and they should. I mean, all leagues should be using LMS. Uh, we should have all league players everywhere using LMS. When we get to a world where everybody playing pool league uh, is using LMS and connected by Fargo ratings, we will all be in a better, in, in a better place. Uh, and, uh, and that's what it's built for. Uh, uh, LMS is, is built to scale uh, like that and to handle that kind of uh, capacity. And, uh, and that's what we need. Awesome. Well, guys, uh, I want to leave you with a recommendation for your algorithm. So, I mean, I'm, Let's not hear a, it. I'm not a mathematician or anything, but I have this theory that, you know, for better players, uh, matching up in a 50-50 proposition is something that we're just not accustomed to. And so I find that a lot of times when it is a 50-50, according to Fargo rate matchup, that the better player loses because they have more pressure on them than they would typically have playing someone that they're supposed to beat, right? And uh, I'm kind of joking, halfway joking here, but I really yeah, yeah. do think that there's a variable there that isn't factored in, right? Because, you know, I play somebody who's a 550, well, you know, I know if I play them in an open, even race tournament, I'm going to beat them more, you know, I don't know, nine, 10 out of 10 times. But when it's a 50, 50 proposition and it's a, I don't know what it would be, but it's a seven to three race or whatever. Well, now all of a sudden I'm like, holy crap, this is terrible. You know? And so I'm stressed. I'm shaking. It's awful. Expect, expectation anxiety. Yeah. You're, you're expected to win. Yeah, exactly. And so that happens to me quite a bit where I'm like, you know, normally I go into a tournament, if it's even race, I'm pretty confident. I feel like, Hey, I'm going to do great. Well, I, have a, I have a question for you then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you look up an opponent's Fargo rating before you play them? I do. Yeah, I do. So I'm, I'm actually traveling this weekend to play in the Texas open. And okay. so, uh, I, I think I, I might've shared this in a message with you, Mike, but a bunch of friends, we kind of had this idea and we're toying around with it. And uh, we did like a selection of players, almost like a fantasy draft for the Texas open. 
And it was like right down the, once you got past like the, the top ones, cause it was a, okay, I'll skip this one and take Skyler instead of, you know, Roberto Gomez or what, you know, it's kind of like jostling around, but once you got past the household names, it was like, okay, who's the next highest Fargo? Take them, take them, take them right down the list. So mm-hmm. it was kind of, it was kind of neat, but yeah, I do. I do. I check it. And so I'll be checking okay. it this weekend when I match up. Cause the surest way to get rid of the expectation anxiety is to not look. <laughs> all right got it i'll try I'm just, I'm just no i'm i'm half joking with you guys but uh i find it you know in all seriousness when you uh are giving up weight anytime you're giving up weight it's hard right and when you're giving up weight in a way that you know it leads to a 50 50 proposition now it's even harder because i've played in a lot of tournaments where it's a handicap tournament but I'm, it's a 5-4 race, and I know I can still handle that. I can outrun that easily, you know? But when it's a 5-2 race and yeah. the person can run a table, well, now I'm like, oh, crap, you know? So, but guys, I, you know, I just, I just want to throw that out there. But I really appreciate your time. And I love, you know, with the critics that are out there, I know I'll probably take some heat the same way you guys take some heat because there'll be a bunch of people that'll watch this and say, ah, oh, Fargo, yeah, you know, whatever. But if you think about it, what is better than data, right? And, and analyzing that data and using that, right? Rather than, you know, Billy Bob, the tournament director, who's like, no, you play a ball better than this guy. And, you know, making these, you know, subjective decisions about who's better than whom, right? That's where you're going to run into to big problems. And we've seen that since, you know, I started playing pool. And so, yes, there are gaps in the data right now. But the answer to that is not to throw away the system that can solve this problem. The answer is let's fill the gaps in the data and then we'll all be in in a much better place. And so I'm behind what you guys are doing. I thank you for taking the time to be on the show. And if there's ever anything I can do for you guys, just let me know, okay? Very good. All right, well, thank you. Thanks for having us, Joey. Awesome. Thank you, guys.